just have a couple of quick announcements. So the first is our online winter retreat, <laughs> which starts this week, uh, the 30th of June, which is Wednesday night, and it culminates with the intensive on Sunday the 4th of July. Um, so you can register there, uh, register for that at satsanglive.com.au. There'll be morning and afternoon talks um, with our senior teachers and then also morning talks with Davy Ma and evening programs with Guruji. So, and the intensive is on the Sunday, the 4th of July, which is dedicated to Shaktipat Awakening. And if you're joining us for the intensive and you have a question that you would like to ask Guruji um, that he'll answer during the question and answer session, you can send those questions in to online at theashram.com.au. <coughs> and then we also have Empowered Teaching Masterclass with Nataraj. And that starts on Sunday the 11th of July, which is the week after the intensive, and will run for three consecutive weeks. And you can book your place uh, for that at theashram.com.au. Okay, we've been uh, <clears throat> doing mantras for the uh, sake of the world, and it doesn't seem like we're going to stop that anytime soon. And the mantra we're doing is mantras to the goddess, uh, and we're going to do 54 repetitions. The mantra will appear on your screen. Uh, these are bija mantras, or uh, uh, short little seed mantras which e express the different forms of the goddess. And we ask the goddess, have mercy on us, goddess, and quit already. We've had enough. And uh, see if you could do something to save humanity. So uh, let's do that now. We begin with Gajananam.
as Gonky told you, we're going to be doing, uh, having our retreat beginning this week. Um, and on Friday night, we're going to have a yagna, a special yagna for, uh, <laughs> what is it for? For freeing us from this uh, global plague and from every other uh, thing. And that'll be open to everybody on the internet, whether they're taking the retreat uh, or the intensive or not. You can uh, uh, join us for that on Friday night, our time. <clears throat> so um, tonight, uh, as always, I like to begin by quoting my guru, Baba Muktananda, who began every talk by saying in Hindi, Sabko varisanmane kesat pemse hardik swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he would always say that that's the essence of spirituality, to welcome another person with love, that it's basically all about love. And these programs are all about love and all about the great beings who uh, embody love, the great souls, the great realizers of all traditions. And so every... Uh, Every satsang, I like to celebrate them all, and usually one in particular. Uh, this is a, an utterance from another great being. His name was Abhinavagupta. Abhinavagupta was one of the great saints in the tradition of Kashmiri Shaivism. Um, and he was the 10th, 11th century. Right at the beginning, not the very first uh, uh, generation of sages in Kashmir Shaivism, about third or fourth generation down. Uh, but he was a monumental intellect and a great yogi. And we have him pictured here uh, in the ashram. Karol has made this uh, wonderful painting of Abhinavagupta teaching. This is a quote from him, from uh, Devi Ma's favorite work, Paratrishika Vivarana. <clears throat> She reads that book and she goes into ecstasies and starts channeling the goddess. So Abhinavagupta says, I bow to that goddess who is consciousness itself. So when we talk about the goddess, what are we talking about? We're talking about universal consciousness, the conscious principle. The greatest miracle that there is in this world is consciousness, that which can understand, to see, to know, can know itself, can speak, can create consciousness itself. Benevagupta goes on, he says, this universe, which appears to be an objective external manifestation, in reality shines within her own being. It seems to be a separate objective thing, this world, it actually occurs within consciousness, within the goddess's own being. It's not external at all. When the yogi destroys the delusive understanding by which he identifies himself with his mind, body, and senses, he attains the state of supreme reality. So when the yogi gives up his connection with limited qualities, his limited adjuncts, you could say, 
his mind, his body, his senses, and he sees who he really is, then he immediately attains the highest reality, that consciousness. That's a Binavagupta, and that's the yoga of Kashmir Shaivism, which says that Shiva exists within every person. There is no one who doesn't have that Shiva as our own nature. And it's only our ignorance and our false uh, understandings that, that prevent us from knowing that. And that's why we do sadhana. That's why we do yogic practice. That's why we meditate. That's why we pursue self-inquiry, is to discover who we really are, to find that place within. A little bit of effort, and we can find that place within. And then with a little bit more effort, we can establish ourselves in that place within. One of the great beings who was uh, established there, oh, so established, profoundly established there, was our own great Bhagwan Nityananda. He was one with that place. He was the embodiment of that place. <clears throat> we have a few photos. There's Bhagwan Nityananda. Completely unselfconscious, completely established in consciousness itself. Just to, just to look at him is to have an experience of it. Next. Bob, you say this, he's laughing here. Telling jokes. You notice that that's uh, in Kailas Nivas in Ganeshpuri where his ashram, where uh, those of us who visited there know that very, that very bed and that very niche. He must be saying Bhavana Rako. He's saying Bhavana Rako. Keep the feeling. Stay in the state of bliss. Next. And here he is meeting thousands and thousands. His fame had spread around the whole area, and people came from everywhere uh, to meet him. He was in such an exalted state. It's not only just to admire him like a painting, but being in his presence, you received such a powerful transmission of shakti, of energy. Uh, in fact, that same transmission is still there. Even though his body is gone, that transmission is very palpably in Ganeshpur. And here he is giving darshan, meeting all these uh, uh, people. And you can see how much intensity they, with what, how much intensity they regard him and how much they're drawing shakti from him. <clears throat> so these are statements by Bhagwan Nityananda. <clears throat> he wasn't a lecturer, he wasn't um, a professor, uh, but occasionally he would say things, and fortunately there was one woman who was there and wrote them down, and because of that we have a book of his uh, <coughs> teachings called, somebody else named it, the Chittakash Gita, the Song of the Highest Consciousness, Utterances of Bhagwan Nityananda. <clears throat> I remember last week or a couple of weeks ago, I don't remember when, uh, somebody asked Baba about this book, somebody in my day back in Ganeshpuri, uh, and was saying it was very unintelligible. It's hard to understand this book, and Baba said, Bhagavan Nityananda's teachings were very simple and direct, um, and that 
it must be the translator's fault. Uh, and so uh, I've, I've always thought that they were quite obscure, but now I changed my attitude. And now I see that the Bhagwan's teachings are incredibly direct and simple. Let's see if we can see it that way. Bhagwan says, everything comes from inside, not from outside. That's simple, isn't it? It's simple, but very deep. You become bad by yourself. You become good by yourself. That affronts a lot of our notions, which blames the culture, other people, society, uh, all kinds of things for uh, our lives. Bhagavan is saying, you're responsible for your life. <clears throat> he says, the breath of Om should be inside you. Then there is purity. Now that may not be that simple. The breath of Om. Bhagavan is saying that we should always retain knowledge of the highest. Part of our awareness should always be brooding about the highest truth, about God, about self, about consciousness, about divinity, about love. Constantly keep that somewhere in our consciousness. And then the breath of Om is within us. He says, when bad is merged in good, it is transformed into good. So if we keep that connection with the Om, with cosmic consciousness, then even bad stuff that happens gets burnt up in the fire of that oneness. He's saying, if we keep that memory. <clears throat> Another one. Bhagavan Nityananda said, giving food or money in charity is not devotion. Universal love is devotion. A lot of uh, devotees give generously, you know, they give, uh, and that's a great thing, but he's saying real devotion is love. That's what real devotion is, not just sharing wealth and so on. He says, universal love is devotion. Seeing God in all beings is devotion. That's why Baba said, see God in each other, is one of his aphorisms. Looking with equal sightedness is devotion. Bhagavan again and again um, emphasizes equal sightedness, equal vision, to have equal vision, samatha. It's uh, uh, not to be so invested in things that happen, but see everything equally. This is what the, the uh, mark of a sage, see everything equally. He goes on, different one, different statement. Bhakti is prem, is supreme love. There should be subtle eating and drinking. <laughs> Not gross eating and drinking. <clears throat> one should drink the water of discrimination. Peace is water. This is an extended metaphor. <clears throat> Yogananda is sitting on the water of peace. The bliss of yoga is to sit in the water of peace, subtly eating and drinking love. 
<clears throat> so that's all. I don't know how simple that all is. It's metaphorical. Bhagavan says, oh mind, oh mind. I always love statements by yogis when it begins, oh mind. They're talking to their own minds. Every day you should say to your mind, oh mind, think good thoughts. Oh mind, think well of yourself, for God's sakes. Oh mind, stop complaining. Oh mind, stop being negative. Oh mind, think good, strong thoughts. Oh mind, know the self. Bhagavan says, oh mind, leave off worldly pleasures and enjoy eternal bliss. That's the trade-off. Oh mind, leave off worldly joy and enjoy eternal joy. Enter the, into the eternal, oh mind. Enter into the eternal. We're so bogged down in the temporary. This business and that business, what this person said, what that person said, this thing, that thing, constantly bogged down. We're so bogged in that that we can't find the eternal. He says, enter the eternal, oh mind, run into the heart. Isn't that beautiful? <clears throat> Bobby used to uh, always quote Bhagwan. He said, Bhagwan Nityananda said, the heart is the hub of all sacred places. That's the way we translate it. The heart is the hub of all sacred places. Maybe it's from this. Maybe it's a translation of this. Oh, mind, run into the heart. Turn away from the externals, but turn towards the essence. He says, the real enjoyment is in the heart. Enjoy that pleasure, which is called mukti, freedom. The pleasure of being free of all the crap. We're bogged down by all the crap. Bhagwan was free of all the crap. Become free of all the crap is what he's saying. Live in it. Enter into the internal, leaving off the external. O oh mind, open the third eye. See with divine vision. Do not think of anything else. See the world with same-sightedness. There's that equal vision again, same-sightedness. Same That's marvelous, isn't it? Oh, mind, see with same-sightedness. Another one. Are you in Bhagwan trance yet? <laughs> okay. One whose mind is always at one with the absolute is a yogi. Such a person has knowledge of God, even if he's an untouchable. Now that's very woke, isn't it? <laughs> whatever race you are, whatever religion, whatever caste, if you know God, you're a yogi. <clears throat> Wearing orange robes, carrying a walking stick or a water pot, talking of Vedanta and arguing about it with everyone, these things do not make one a swami. So it's to know God is to be a swami, not argue about Vedanta and show off your knowledge. It's <laughs> a good one. <clears throat> Another one. If you look at 10 people, their devotion will not be identical in nature. If you look at 10 people, they're going to be different nature and different everything. Their, their connection with the divine 
will be strong or weak or in the middle. True? <clears throat> if 10 people are traveling on foot together and one person sits down to rest, the other nine will soon sit. What's he on about here? Likewise, another metaphor, huh? A simile. It's like this. Likewise, devotion begins with one person. Seeing it, hearing it, devotion arises in others. This is what satsang is about. We cluster around a great being. Great being has that devotion, that connection, and we catch it uh, like a contagion. Another one. You like that? How are we doing? Uh, okay, now it's getting very good. <clears throat> when you know truth, there is no fear of death. I and mine are dissolved. I and mine are nothing but fear of death. So they call I and mine is a code. It's a way the yogis talk about it. Talking about the ego. The idea that I'm worried about this creature. Will it get enough? Will it get enough of good things or too much of bad things? We're all deeply invested in it. That's the ego, the I and mine. He says, uh, when you know the truth, then you don't have to worry so much about this creature. And then he says, I and mine are nothing but fear of death. Patanjali calls it a binevesha, the, 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 the most fundamental fear. Fear of death and clinging to life. He goes on and says, this is an obstruction on the path of God, fear of death. When you know the truth... Death is just an external condition like sleep. In truth, there's no distinction between inner and outer. When the senses are turned inward, I and mind dwindle to nothing. When we turn within in meditation, we overcome this craving, the separation. When we open our eyes, look around, then we have FOMO and BOMO and MOMO and COMO. <laughs> And we look around and we worry, this one's getting that, and he's getting that, and I'm not getting it. But when we turn within, we don't see any of that. We remember it, though. Finally, we quiet down and we don't think about it. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> only when you waken from sleep and become aware of the external do you understand the nature of sleep. So you're asleep, and you're sleeping, and then you wake up, and you look around and say, oh, I was asleep. It's only when you wake up that you remember sleep. So in the same way, we're sleeping this dream of externality and of the ego, and when we wake up from it, we look and say, oh, I was sleeping then. He says, so also with wisdom. Birth and death are caused by desire. This desire is under your control. Now he's talking about reincarnation, rebirth. That you get reborn because of desire. You have a desire that has to be fulfilled somewhere. There's like an energy, it's it's law of physics. It says energy can't be created or destroyed. If there's an energy of desire moving through the universe, it has to be fulfilled. So you get another birth to fulfill it. 
but he says this desire is under your control. In the discrimination of buddhi, fear of birth and death disappears. Buddhi is the higher intellect, the part of the intellect that decides, the part of the intellect that, that judges, you know, not the, not the mind that just chatters away, but the part of the intellect that makes judgments, makes calls, makes decisions. That's the higher mind. Uh, and Baba used to call it right understanding, to have right understanding. To have right understanding doesn't mean, though, the capital of uh, Queensland or, you know, something like that. It doesn't mean to know facts. Does Queensland have a capital? No. <laughs> 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 so, what is it? Brisbane? I don't know. Yeah, Brisbane must be. Must be, yeah. Okay, so um, anyway. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but to have right understanding means to know what's good for you and what's not good for you, what's real and eternal and what's temporary, and so on. When the mind, he says, is subject to desire, you experience pleasure and pain and you need external help. When desire is controlled, pleasure and pain have no influence. If you become the slave of habits, you will take lower birth. It's very much like what the Stoics said. The Stoics understood that desire was at the source of our dilemma, and that if you become uh, less full of desire and fear, uh, then you, your life is much more beautiful. He says, habits must be controlled. You must exercise the will. Bad habits, bad habits of mind. Everybody has bad habits. And we have to overcome them through strength, through choice. We have to simply work to overcome them. And we don't indulge them. We have to see them at least from a distance. Not to be totally one with our anger, but say, oh, I see that I'm angry. To make an A statement, we call it is the first step. I am angry is the first step. That's already better than being lost in anger, where you go into a homicidal rage. <laughs> he says, any work done on a whim is temporary, but work done by exercise of the booty is lifelong. It means when you use your intellect, what you do from that is worthwhile. And what's the ultimate work of, that, uh, of life? It's to do sadhana. It's to know the self, to do yoga. That's the ultimate thing. Whims or fancies are never permanent. They're much inferior to the intellect. They're like, <laughs> this is a very funny one. They're like the little finger, and booty is the middle finger. <laughs> I don't think he meant it quite that way. There's the importance of the middle finger. The little finger is not so important. <laughs> Great attachment to some particular thing creates vasanas. When you have attachment, it creates vasanas, which are uh, uh, tendencies that are carried from life to life. <clears throat> and these vasanas are the cause of rebirth. 
because of these vasanas. Vasanas that relate to the body come and go like bubbles on the water, but great attachments, great attachments, create vasanas that cause another birth. So because of great attachments, we don't finish it in this life and we have to be born again. Now this is interesting. However, among vasanas, there's a special vasana that reflects the inner state. Among all these tendencies, there's one kind of vasana that is a yogic vasana. Patanjali also talks about this. There's a, 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 a yogic thought. We could say it's like mumakshutra, like the desire for liberation. So there's, that's also a tendency. That's a very positive tendency. That's a special vasana that reflects the inner state. For a person with such a vasana, Whatever work he may do, it's only the body working. So if, you're, if you have that yogic vasana, that yogic predisposition, then you're detached from whatever you're doing. His vasana stands apart and breathes the body. It's not identified. And when this body cannot satisfy the vasana, the body is discarded and another body is found. This body is gone, there comes another birth. The birth is for the fulfillment of that vasana. It does some, has some purpose. Think, he says. Is it possible to raise both feet at once while walking? Oh, always has to be one foot on the ground when walking. One foot must be down and the other lifted up. So with the vasana of former birth. Now, that could be confusing. What's he saying there? You have, to, you have to exhaust that vasana, then you can do another vasana. So one foot is down and one foot is up. That was rather obscure, I have to admit. How are we doing? I got another one. Ready? Last one. Okay, Bhagavan says, establish the truth of oneness in your heart through concentration and understanding. This is the highest state. Very simple. Bhabhi used to talk about this too, that, that there's two wings of the bird of sadhana. One is meditation and the other is understanding. These two things. If you meditate without understanding, you don't get very far. And understanding should be complemented by meditation. Understanding and meditation. So concentration and understanding. <clears throat> he says, now he says something that is uh, culturally interesting. Truth is sugar. And the, the juice of fruit that grows on the tree of desirelessness. This is truth. It's the sugar, the juice of the fruit, the rasa of the fruit that grows on the tree of desirelessness. It's the fruit of desirelessness. The less we're caught up in wanting and not wanting, and that intense hysteria of wanting, the more we experience the joy, the rasa, the sweetness of life. This is the sweet juice of wisdom. 
It is the juice of yoga that transforms every quality of the body, every part of the body. Direct it upward. Shake off all doubts by bathing in the waters of Shiva. Let Shiva and Shakti unite with Om. Look at the forms and properties of the world with the third eye. So don't look at things in a mundane way. Look at them through the eye of wisdom. See the oneness of everything. Apply your yoga to your worldly life. Don't separate the two. Oh, my yoga is when I meditate and then I go out and I live like an animal in the jungle. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, but apply that, apply that yoga. Look at things with the third eye. Burn all doubts to ashes. Burn all doubts. I, I figured out finally that, because they always talk about doubts as the main problem. I figured out that that's what we mean by tearing thoughts. We call them tearing thoughts. And uh, in these they call them doubts. Doubts about yourself is a tearing thought. So burn your doubts. Don't doubt that you are Shiva, you are the self. Don't doubt that. That, that's the nature of these, uh, these doubts, these, these tearing thoughts that tear at ourselves, bring us down, the worst tendency. He says, burn all doubts to ashes. Uh, there's the metaphor of burning. Uh, and this is a metaphor from the yagna, you know, with the, the sacred fire. The yogis love that metaphor, that things are thrown into the fire. Fire purifies everything burns everything to sameness. And so you throw your ignorance into that fire and it turns into purity, burned up. Burn all doubts to ashes. Throw them into the sacred fire. Burn the six enemies to ashes. The six enemies, uh, the six negative emotions. What are they? Jealousy, 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 and jealousy. Is that right? It's hard to remember them all. <laughs> Cover yourself with these ashes and join Shiva. He's a Kashmir Shaivite. Enter the third eye. Become Shiva. Let Shiva become you. That's great. Do not hesitate to sacrifice the difference between you and Shiva. That's extraordinary. Think of your ignorance. Sacrifice your ignorance. Sacrifice your suffering. Throw up your, get rid of your suffering. Give it up. Okay, you love your suffering. Give it up. Sacrifice it. <clears throat> Throw it into the fire of the five senses. Sacrifice all doubts in these fires. Sacrifice all qualities. So the, the, the metaphor is bubbling under the surface of the yagna, of the sacred fire, and throwing, uh, throwing offerings into that fire. Established in desirelessness, drink the nectar every moment. Drink freely. That's the Shaivite point of view, that God is present in every moment. If we can burn up the tendencies that, that make us separate, 
then we can experience the nectar, the sweet juice uh, of the self. So let's make that's fantastic. You like that? There's Bhagwan. So let's meditate. Let's do what Bhagwan says. I want to read the rest of that part again. Uh, Burn all doubts to ashes. We'll meditate for 10 minutes now. And, And I'll just read some of this one more time. I'm going to meditate for 10 minutes. And we're going to become Shiva in those 10 minutes. And if you don't become Shiva in these 10 minutes, you flunk the course. So you have to do it. Bhagwan says, burn all doubts to ashes. Burn the six enemies to ashes. All negative emotions. Burn it up. You have so much power. The self is so powerful within you. Burn up the ignorance. Cover yourself with these ashes and join Shiva. Shiva is so generous-spirited. He accepts everyone. You don't have to qualify. There's no bouncer at Shiva's gate. At, at Vishnu's gate, there's a bouncer. Looks you up and down, sees if you're pure enough. But at Shiva's gate, it's just wide open. Come on in. Come in. <clears throat> Enter the third eye. Become Shiva. Let Shiva become you. Let your divine nature manifest. Do not hesitate to sacrifice the difference between you and Shiva. Get rid of it. Give up the complaint, the moan, that thing that goes on and on, the worry, the fear. Throw it away just for these 10 minutes. You can have it back. Throw it into the fire of the five senses. Sacrifice all doubts in these fires. Sacrifice all qualities. Established in desirelessness. Feel, another way to say it is, feel contentment. Be contented. Drink the nectar every moment. Drink freely. In this very moment, which is like every other moment, that one experiences, there's always the opportunity to feel peaceful and joyous in this moment. It's a complete opportunity. So if we make the choice, strong, make the strong choice, we can experience that now. That's letting us become Shiva. So let's meditate now for 10 minutes on that divinity that's within us. And once again, with great love and respect, I welcome you all with all my heart. Sat Maharaj Kijay.